welcome to the Driving Your Marketing Podcast, where small business entrepreneurs come discover the strategies, systems, and tools to kick their marketing into high gear. If you want to go from surviving small business owner to thriving entrepreneur, you're in the right place. Let's get ready to roll. All right, welcome everybody. This is Eli Delaney, the creator of the Driving Your Marketing Podcast, and we are here to show you the small business owner, entrepreneur, mom and pop business owner, pretty much anybody who considers themselves an entrepreneur and is out there with something to share. Share your message, share your products, your services, because you are adding value to the world. We are here to show you the things that you can do to market yourself without spending a big budget, because let's face it, one of the things as me being a speaker, I'm out there talking to entrepreneurs of every walk of life, and I hear this all the time, that they don't like marketing, they think it's complicated, it's scary, they don't want to sound like a used car salesman, all that kind of stuff, and we do this show for the purpose of showing you that none of that stuff is true. Marketing does not have to be complicated, expensive, scary, or sleazy. It actually can be a lot of fun. It's a lot easier than you think, and what I do is I bring in guests from all over the world to show you some of the things that they've done, share with you their message, some of the, the ways that they're marketing themselves and their clients to get you some of the ideas of what you can implement in your business right away. And today I've got Erica Murray. Erica Murray, excuse me. Um, she's an international business consultant who has worked diligently consummating many business transactions and establishing an impressive clientele, government officials, former prime ministers, municipalities, international airport authorities, you name it, all kinds of stuff from all around the world. She is the author of CEO to the Power of You. And Erica, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Eli. I'm really excited about this. Well, first off, you know, I, there's there's definitely some tongue twisters in, in your bio there. So tell us how you got started and, you know, give us a little bit more background with you because you and I had a great conversation the other day and I really wanted to – I love what you're doing and I wanted, wanted to bring your thought process out to the world. So give us a little bit of background. A little bit of background on me, Eli, is I started off um, – at, at early on I was a housewife, but um, decided to go into business and went into – the mortgage business, and I, from that particular point forward, you know, I guess I was just really excited about business. From there, I went from owning my own mortgage brokerage to owning a couple of real estate brokerages, from that contracting, from that real estate development plans. And, of course, from that, I began to um, write the real estate development plans in different countries. And from that, I began to revert to consulting, and thus, that's where I am right now. It's been an exciting journey. I've met a lot of people, and I've worked in a lot of places. Awesome. I love it. And, you know, one of the things that, that really struck my attention when you and I were talking the other day was was that big picture thinking, much, much more than a lot of business owners. They're thinking in just their local market. They're just thinking about their neighborhood, essentially, and they're not thinking big enough. And, you know, you, you said some things the other day that, that kind of brings up a good question is, in today's world, we are in such a, a global economy. How do business owners and entrepreneurs um, garner sustainability in today's world? I think that in order for them to garner, excuse me, in order for them to garner sustainability, they're going to have to think bigger about their businesses. And that means, again, outside of the neighborhood, outside of the city limits, outside of the state. And I think that when they start to think that way, their markets become larger and to whom they can actually provide their service or product to. Because sometimes our, 
immediate markets are so inundated until we feel like there's no business, there's no room for growth. And there's a big world out here for us to grow in, and we just have to take our share of it, but we have to do it in a strategic manner. Right, and I, and I do love that. And I, I love that thought process because I work with a lot of, like, you know, for lack of a better term, it's mom-and-pop businesses, local local stores, both um, you know retail locations, but also home-based businesses. And one thing that I find is so many of them are locked into the the local mindset that they forget that their business could be much, much bigger than it is. And the great thing is when you were in business, I my personal belief anyway is that if you're in business, you're there to provide a service and to add value to the people of the world. And so I look at it as it's my job to get out in front of anybody that I can possibly help. So that doesn't mean that they have to live within two miles of where I'm at. It's across the globe. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that we don't realize how much power is actually in our possession. And we don't exercise the power that's there either because what happens is you'll have people who utilize their social media network for, oh, you know, I'm going out and get my nails done or, you know, here's a picture with me and my dog. Um, if you're in business, I believe that every connection should, be, should actually lead you to another connection. And I believe in multi-level marketing, they use a term that's called BAM famming, which means to book a meeting from a meeting. And I think within our social media uh, aspect, I think we should befriend a friend through a friend, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we're connected on LinkedIn and we're and we're connected, I'm connected to Eli. Well, Eli should have some people who are just like him that he's connected to. And I think we should use those connections to introduce ourselves or to ask those people who are connected to others to introduce us. And therefore, now we're moving beyond our neighborhoods, beyond beyond our city limits, beyond our state to a broader perspective and a broader spectrum of helping and, and pushing our brand out there, which is rather easy, and it's really not a lot of money involved in that at all. Right. And I love the way you just did that because that is such a powerful tool. It's something that I use is you brought up the fact of, you know, say LinkedIn, you and I are connected. Well, there might be somebody in my network, somebody that I know that's like me that could that you would be a good connection for too. So let's build that connection. But again, it doesn't matter if they're in that local area. It could be across the world. I mean, I I know you've got clients all over the world. I've got clients all over the world. And it's, and it's funny because I know you and I were talking about the whole thing of – at this particular time of this recording, I don't even have a passport. I couldn't leave the country if I wanted to. Yet I have clients in Canada, Mexico, uh, UK, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and India. Right. That's a cool thing if you really think about it. And we can all do that. We can, you know, we can grow so much bigger than we than we think about on a regular basis. Now, I know one thing that people tend to think about. They think kind of in that that regular startup mode of you've got to have certain amounts of money and certain you know certain amounts of venture capital and things like that before they can hit any kind of global expansions, especially in today's kind of economy. What do you think about that? I don't think that that's a, a true indication of what's happening. I think that. You don't need capital. To, you need ideas. You need to know how to be innovative, and you know how you need to know how to acquire something. Let's think about when the market crashed a few years back. You know that was the time for business owners to start acquiring other businesses because they didn't even need the capital. To. If you have great management skills, you can go in and you can turn a business around 
and you can start generating income immediately. Most times when businesses fail, it's because they don't have the right management or they're not flexible enough to change with the market. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to interview this guy, a really great guy by the name of James Gorn, and I, I asked him about globalization. And one of the things he said to me, and I asked about getting funding from banks to fund his project because he was doing a $25 million project in Jamaica. And he says he has never, ever gone to the bank with a good idea and couldn't get the money. And so I laughed at that. And I'm thinking a good idea to get the money. Well, you know, James, you, you, you know, from some of your friends are bankers. How do other people do this? And he was right when I thought about it. It's the presentation of the idea. You don't really need any money. How you present the idea is how the money is going to come to you. Because if you're excited about it and if you can get people to buy into what it is that you see that's about to happen, the other part of it is relatively easy. Right. I love that. And that is so, so true. I use, I actually have a, a, a methodology that I call infectious drive that actually talks about that. And the whole concept is that if you're excited enough and you have enough passion behind your idea, your product, your service, whatever that is, that you're going to make a difference and you're excited about that, you share that energy, what it ends up creating is infectious drive where other people want to be involved. They want to invest. They want to buy your products. They want to hang out with you. They want to find those connections for you because they want to feel like they're part of that energy. Absolutely, absolutely. It's all in the presentation, and it's all in if someone can feel the energy that you emit from the per- from your person to them. Absolutely, Eli. Right, I love that. Cool. So, if you know, let's say you're you're starting out your your business and you're trying to figure out, you know, we're we're doing our thing. What do we know that it might be a time to start looking at a bigger global opportunity? I think when you're starting out and you're doing your due diligence. And as you're digging and you're noticing other companies that provide the same service that you provide, when you notice that the market is saturated, but then there is a need for whatever it is that you're offering, at that particular moment, you can eat, your business in the beginning can become a global business because the Internet has allowed us that uh, immediate presence in a different market. And I think that when people go global in their business, it's about – researching what comp- what country can utilize your product. And then, again, when we start talking about Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, sometimes if you just search a person out, just an everyday, ordinary person on one of your social media sites, and begin to talk to them about their country and begin to talk to them about their needs from a common person's perspective, then that helps you to decide, hey, you know, I have a first-line opinion on this, but I've also done the market research. So I don't think that there's a specific time when a business can go global, I think it's all about the due diligence, and I don't think that anyone should be afraid of that, and there should be no fear in it because if we do open up something abroad, we have the ability to install cameras whereby we can log onto our laptops or our mobile devices. We can see what's happening in our businesses. We have the ability to purchase overseas protection insurance to cover the investment. There, there are so many different things that can happen there. So as far as a dollar amount or when, I think those things are totally irrelevant. It's all about market research. 
All right, and that's and that is true. You find, you know, just do your due diligence and just figure out, okay, is this something that that's feasible? How how could it work for me? If you if you would mind, I would like to see kind of an example of how we can we can kind of show how this process works because I know I can guarantee that there's at least somebody, one or two people, if not more, probably a lot more that are listening to this call that are like, uh, I don't, I can't even think that big. How do I how do I get started? What kind of business would you think would be something? that a lot of people would consider small, local, you know, one-man show type of things, how could they turn around and move that into like a global market idea? Let's just say we're producing a, a, a pen that records someone talking. Let's just say that. Okay. Um, um, and we want to market this pen, and there are about 30 other individuals within my local area that markets this product. Well, it doesn't make sense for me to compete because I can't stand out in that particular market. You know, it's pretty much inundated. What I would do is I would probably um, identify in my head students to benefit from this pen that records. So when they go to a lecture, they can write and record at the same time. Mm -hmm. So what I would then say is, okay, well, maybe let me look at the universities, universities that are located in let's say, the U.K., because we know we have Oxford University and we know that, you know, the educational system there is pretty strong. What I would then do is put together a marketing campaign, video marketing, because a lot of young people use YouTube, and, of course, they're doing a lot of things on their mobile devices. I would identify those universities. I would contact the Student Government Association, to see about coming there and doing a presentation and offering these devices at a wholesale cost or just above wholesale. I do that just so that I can get the instrument into their hands and out there. Eventually, something's going to happen. They're going to run out of ink, and they're going to have to refill from me. They're going to need a certain battery that causes the device. So I'm going to earn my money on the back side of that. Right. But what I've done was I've identified that students can use it, or I can identify that attorneys could use this, or I can identify, when I identify who needs the product, then I target the I target that area. Now, one of the areas that I would definitely say to target if I were creating an innovative pen or something like that would be China. And I know that I would have to offer this device at a lower dollar amount, and I definitely want to make certain that my intellectual property is protected <laughs> when I go there. Right. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I do know is that there are, what, 1.4 billion people there? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be awesome to move the product in an in area with that many people in it? Right. You know? Well, and, and, and the great thing about something like that, too, is, is a lot of times they have a lot of people that are in that higher education standpoint where, like, a product like that would be perfect for them. Absolutely. Very cool. I love that. And just for the record, I have one of those recording pens. It's it's my favorite toy in the world. It's my my live scribe. I never go anywhere without it. And I have to say that it amazes me for as great of a product as it is and how useful it is, how many people still don't even know what it is. They've never heard of it before. And I, I sit down with people all the time. I take it out. I start writing and everything. And they're like, what's that? Because it doesn't look like a normal pen. And mm -hmm. starts up a whole conversation, and they are floored about how awesome the product is. Yeah. And it amazes me how here locally, it hasn't even barely, you know, made a dent in people knowing what it is. 
that's probably because they need our help, Eli. <laughs> that's true. They do. They do definitely need our help. So another question I have for you is: How does a business owner, entrepreneur, create a platform for their business? And you know, when they're looking at an expansion beyond their local area, I think creating the platform again is being innovative, uh, being flexible, and 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 learning the market in which you are are targeting. And I think most times, even as entrepreneurs and business owners, I would say business owners more specifically as opposed to an entrepreneur, there's not enough due diligence that's done. There's not enough market research. There's not enough of strategy when preparing your marketing plan to go out and to basically annihilate a particular market. And I think that that has to be a focus. It has to be the main focus when we're talking about expanding. And then, of course, Let's take it down just a little bit smaller. It's, it's like I'm going to expand in my zip code. And then I'm going to take my zip code. I'm going to go out maybe a five-mile radius to the north. And then maybe the next expansion is going to be to the east, the west, and then the south of that five-mile radius with those zip codes. And then I move out that way because what you want to do is make it very convenient for whatever product or service that you're offering in any type of expansion. If I can't get the people who are near to me, who, who can actually just walk, walk to my office, you know, why should I always target people who have to drive? Because those people who are more convenient live in this area. So I want to make my business a part of their lifestyle, so to speak. And that should be every business owner's um, goal, to become a part of the person's lifestyle. Because when you're a part of their lifestyle, second nature to them to visit your bakery or it's second nature to them to visit your insurance company because it's very convenient and they, they feel like you're a part of their life. So I would think that when we're creating our expansions, that we need to create them almost like um, degrees, um, little circles that, that, that go out just a little bit further and further and further, but of course making certain that we've gotten everyone within that area that can use our product or service. Right. I love that, and I, I think that that's a really good way to look at it because I know there's a lot of people listening today that are they are solopreneurs, smaller mom and pop type businesses, and that that process right there. We're not talking about you're going to go from the 150 people that you know as being your clients to now we're going to serve you know 150 client countries. What we're going to do is we're going to say okay. How can we expand in this next, the next district, the next zip code, and start with that and build that relationship? And one of the best phrases I've ever heard is, you know, find a niche, dominate that niche first before moving into anything else. And you're doing the same thing. Your niche here is your local area. Really know that you have your act together. You have your product being as best that you can possibly make it. And you've already done the the customer research. You find out what's you know any kind of glitches, ways you can make it better, all that kind of stuff. You've done the testing first, and then expand to one more area. Don't try to expand to ten; just pick one. Exactly. Just pick that one area, and just make sure it's an area that they can utilize your services and products. That you can offer something to get them in. Once you bait them in, so to speak, with you know, free donut with the purchase of a coffee or, you know, free half-hour consultation or, you know, we'll deliver your groceries or pick up your prescriptions or whatever it is. Once mm -hmm. you give them something, once they come in, 
web, it's how you deal with them, whether or not they're going to continue their business relationship. It's how you make them feel. Because we are emotional creatures. That's why in marketing we spend billions of dollars to tap into an individual's emotion. So I often tell my clients, we have to find what's already there and build on it. For example, Coca-Cola. I'll never forget, I don't know how old you are, Eli, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am. But what I am going to say, <laughs> what I am going to say, do you remember the Coca-Cola commercial when they would blindfold people and the Coca-Cola Pepsi type uh, commercial? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. They only showed us individuals selecting Coke. So they were building our mindset to say people selected Coke over Pepsi. Not that they, they did 100 taste tests and 58 people chose Pepsi and the additional chose Coke. They only showed us Coke. So, and after they did that, they showed this image of the Coca-Cola with, like, all of the, the, the fizz going on, and it just made you want this beverage. Right. They took something, and they created it. And so now what happens is other people build on top of the Coca-Cola. So you'll see McDonald's put a hamburger there, and then they'll say, and drink a Coke. Mm-hmm. Well, all they did was build on top of what Coke has already built. And as entrepreneurs, we have to, and, and business owners, we have to make certain that we tap into the emotion that's already there and build on top of it and connect to it. Right. Right. And I, and I love that example. And, and we see those kind of things all the time. It's most of the time they'll, they'll give us a, a, hey, most of the people pick this or this group of people pick this. Well, they don't talk about what those actual statistics were, but they show all the happy people that picked their product. Now, you just brought up something that's going to be a, a slight bit of a, a sideline tangent here, but I think that it's really a really good idea is the fact that you're talking about McDonald's and Coke working together and doing some basically cross-channel marketing. And I think that that's something that we could probably talk about for just a minute here about how a, a typical small business entrepreneur can actually utilize that same capability with, you know, let's say I have, you know, I have a coffee shop, I could find other restaurants to start serving my coffee. You know, that's a way to grow and expand your market much, much bigger than your coffee shop. You know, that kind of idea. You're you're absolutely correct. But what what I find with business owners and some entrepreneurs is that the idea of joint venturing, the idea for them to not be fully in charge, the idea of they're threatened by sharing their network, um, that hinders the growth. Because our goal as solopreneurs and business owners and mom and pop shops is not to, uh, so, so to speak, fight with each other. What we're trying to do is break the monopoly of the larger enterprises. We just want our portion of it. And if we work together because in many instances, we don't have the billions of dollars they have to run massive marketing campaigns. But what we do have that they do not have is the ability to touch the people who are making the purchases. Right. And I don't think that we, we don't utilize that in our favor enough as entrepreneurs and business owners. Let me touch you. For example, you may be selling a product. Let's say you're selling shoes, and you have family members, and, of course, you have friends. And you have an amazing shoe line, but they'll go to Dillerton buy the shoes. And one of the things that I'll ask my family and friends, it's like, oh, you went over there and you paid for that. Hmm. How often do they invite you over to dinner? <laughs> mm-hmm. I ask that question because I want them to understand that. You come over to my home, 
We fellowship and enjoy each other's company. You eat and drink. I don't ask for any money, but you don't help me to be able to provide that luxury to you. But you'll go and provide it to Dillard's or Macy's, and they don't ever invite you over. So I think, too, we have to kind of reshape the minds of the people that we're working with also to let them know, I'm here to provide you a service, you know, a five-star service. You know, you call me after hours or whatever it may be, but you have to let people know that you are human because, of course, corporations take on a culture. They dehumanize themselves. And as a small enterprise, we remain human. And I think we need to connect with, with our clients with that particular element as well. Yeah, and I and I definitely agree with you on that. I think that that's I mean that's one of the things I talk about is like that personal branding. I think today's world that is more critical. People don't care about the company. They don't care about the logo, how many years your your business has been in play. What they care about is the relationship that you have, the voice of the company, no matter how big, big, you know, big or small, the voice of the company is you. You're you're the person that's shaking their hands, you're looking them in the eye. And I think that that is what sells people more than the actual product in today's world. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I like to use the example of a real estate, you know, real estate agents. I always ask people when I do my speaking is, how many real estate agents do you know? And of course, depending on the crowd, everybody, you know, raises their hands and some of them are like shaking their heads because they know a bunch. And I'm like, okay, how many do you know? And I'll start going through. And depending on the group, it's, it's really fun when I do that in front of a group of realtors because then they just, you know, never put their hands down. Um, but we talk about people who know a hundred different realtors. And I, I actually am in that boat. I know a hundred different realtors. And then I ask, okay, and how many, if you were selling your home today, how many would you trust? And all of a sudden, that number, that number goes down to one or two. I've never seen anybody say one time I had somebody say five, and that was the highest. But generally, it's one or two only. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's because they have that relationship, and we talk about that. It's like, okay, you trust that person because you're of the relationship you have with them. You know them well. You you know maybe you are friends with them, and you have had dinner together and things like that. Now, if they were to move from this company to a different company, would you still use them? And the answer is always yes. And it's because the company doesn't matter. It's the person behind it that matters. Absolutely. You're correct. Yeah. So I think that that is that what you're talking about. It totally coincides with this, and I and I wanted to talk about the the idea of that that joint venture and you know cross promotion capability because there's you you actually touched something on that too is that so many people still look at the world of scarcity and that they they don't know that you know maybe they don't have as much control or they don't feel like you know there's enough of the pie for both companies and that kind of stuff. And I, and I tell you that especially in the small business market, that is so, so true. And I, I'm trying to everything – I'm doing everything I can to try to alleviate that because I find that if you can collaborate with somebody and you can do a joint venture or cross-promotion type scenario, it ends up being 10 times more powerful than anything you can do on your own. Absolutely. You know, there's more strength in numbers than areas for any individual to stand out you know, by their lonesome. And um, once again, we just have to remove any fear of loss because whenever we have a joint venture, it is a winning situation. It's not a win-win. It's just a winning situation. And if we're going to collaborate in our discussions about collaborating, we're going to know pretty much the depth of how we both are going to win with the collaboration because most times joint ventures 
are not done if there's not going to be massive winning on both ends of it. Right. Now, I love that. Now, you talked a little bit about social media earlier. Let's talk about how can we use social media for added value for businesses and entrepreneurs to, for, to create this kind of global expansion we're talking about. I think that people have to, because you're not there present with them, they have to get to know you. Um, you know, I was sharing with a client who he's doing, he has a book that he's trying to get out global, and it's a book of poetry. And what I was sharing with him is I said, okay, you know, by and large, people don't read, but how do you induce them to want to read? I say they have to know you. You have to, we have to do some filming, some short, uh, you know, 60-second videos or 30 seconds. We need to talk about who you are. People have to connect. So they, you have to create images for people to connect to your business. And most time it's going to be done through recordings. It's going to be done be, uh, through video recordings also. And you're going to have to bring people into it that could feel whatever it is that you're producing, the service or, what, or, or the product. It has to be an emotion. Again, we have to tap into that emotion. How do we get people to buy into what we have? And, again, when we go back to someone like Coca-Cola, how do they get us to thirst for something that we've never tasted before, but they make you want it? How does that happen? <laughs> And it is, you know, you brought up the fact of doing these like short 60 second videos. That is a great way to do it. And I know, you know, one thing that in today's world, especially with the with younger generation, um, video is pretty much critical. I know a lot of people are still promoting, you know, video is the way of the future. Now it's the way of now. It's already here. And for us, we, one thing that it does is it creates that that likability, that no like and trust factor, the KLT factor, as I call it, and mm -hmm. it builds that because when somebody watches a couple of videos with you, they feel like they've gotten to know you. They feel like they they can see your personality, they can see you smile, they can they can see how you talk, they can listen to your inflections and how your personality comes through, and that's where. I mean, I know for me personally, I've had people walk up to me and they, it's almost like that whole celebrity status thing where they come up and you're Eli and they have that, that shy look in their face. And I'm like, yeah, I am. And for me, it's weird. It's the, the weirdest feeling in the world to have that kind of person come up and have a fan per se. But it's in that situation where it's like they come up and they talk to me like they, they know me because of the fact that they have watched my videos. They've seen what I've got going on. They've, they've read my articles. All these different things that are out there have now made it so we have a connection. And I've never actually spoken to that person before. Absolutely. And it's just the ability because people are human. And once again, that is where your smaller enterprises capitalize. We're basically on the front line. And, and being on the front line, we have the ability to pull them into where we are or we have the ability to allow them to move up. For example, when Starbucks swept the nation, um, because it was definitely a sweep. They came in and then they just annihilated any coffee shop that was in the local area. But what happens is now that Starbucks is larger and, you know, it's, it's, they created a lifestyle for people to want to be a part of. It's kind of like when you hold a Starbucks cup, you know, it mm -hmm. says something. Right. Outside of just holding a McDonald's cup, but McDonald's has transitioned their cups to compete. So people can feel proud about holding their Mac Cafe. But, you know, they are creating something for people. They created something for people to want to be a part of. 
But now here's what's also happening. People are saying Starbucks coffee is like a bit too pricey because we're in a tumultuous economy and the disposable income that individuals would normally have, they don't have that available. So now people are starting to go back to your mom and pop tea houses or coffee shops because they've had to change and create an environment with fireplace and just this coziness for people to want to be a part of it. So they're competing. But what's happening is because the market was a bit tumultuous, Starbucks started closing some of their locations Mm -hmm. because people didn't have the income. But the mom and pop shop has always been there. It's the neighborhood shop with the poetry, with the open mic, and all these different events. And people are tapping into that again because they remember who you are. Hi, Eli. How are you doing today? How's your daughter? How's your wife? How's your family? You know, is your mom coming back in? People want to feel like they matter and that what they're spending with you, it matters to you. And I tell clients, you have to always re-earn your clients. Every time you are engaged, you are re-earning their business. Don't think you just have it. This is not um, residual income. (laughs) You know, you have to continue to earn their confidence to continue to do business with you. Right. I love that. And I, and I, you know, that analogy of using, using Starbucks as an example, I actually remember that when, when they went through that massive growth and then when they started cutting back on stores. And I know that, you know, for me, I have a talk with a friend of mine here locally actually owns a coffee shop and I spend most of my time over there. And, you know, he and I have talked about it and I've talked about ideas on, you know, helping him retain his clients and get people to, to come back more often and things like that. And he's, he always talks about the competition, which are things like Starbucks and other coffee shops that are out there. And I'm like, you don't, one thing you need to keep in mind is that I come here because of the culture, the relationship, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. your, your coffee is good, but it's, it's not, that's not the number one reason why I come here. As a matter of fact, I shared that, you know, I used to live in Phoenix before we moved up here and I had a coffee shop that I spent a decent amount of time in. And quite honestly, the coffee wasn't very good. But the way the place was set up, there was great for me to be able to have meetings with people. Um, I could bring my laptop, and there's usually a place for me to plug in, spacious tables, and the relationships with the people. All the people that worked there were always friendly. I got to know them really well. They'd come out, sit down with me. We'd chat for a bit. It was a, it was a very homey, friendly environment. And I used to meet people there as opposed to Starbucks, which was actually kitty corner from them. But it was because of the relationship that I had with them, even though, quite honestly, their coffee kind of sucked. You know? mm-hmm. right. and, and see, that's what you're talking about here is that exact same thing where if you can build that culture, you can build that relationship with your customers, and you can do that internationally, by the way. It doesn't have to be the person that comes in and sits down next to you. It can be through using video. It can be through doing Skype calls and the online world of, of just posting a, you know, posting a comment on somebody's message on Facebook. That's where you build those relationships. Absolutely. And that's another part that I think that your business owners have to um, really, really, really utilize to their advantage. It's building your relationship. Because, again, the entrepreneur doesn't want to be involved in transactions. They want to build relationships because we don't want to have to continuously revet individuals. Okay, let me do the due diligence. Nope, we're just going to do this one transaction. I have to do it all over again. We're looking for people to build relationships with, and you have to be a person who knows how to manage 
your relationships once you get them. Mm-hmm. And that's going to help us to grow the business. And, of course, if we start doing international business, adapting to various cultures. That's why we have to be flexible. Right. So, um, you know, adapting to the various cultures, understanding protocol and how to deal with individuals and actually doing what we say we're going to do. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and follow through with it. And I think right. that that is going to be a difference, you know, both locally and internationally in anyone's business. Right. And I think you just said something that is really important, too, is to the, the concept of adapt to the culture. And that works both locally and internationally, too, is that even, you know, I just like I just mentioned the fact that I moved from from Phoenix to Portland a little over a year ago. That was a major culture shift. Even though we're still in the we're still in the states, we're still in the U.S., but the the people, the personalities, the way the culture of the the cities are very different, and that's something that I've had to adapt to the culture. Because I'll tell you what, being from Phoenix, I we have very very much a lot of L.A. influence, which means high paced, a thousand miles an hour, you know, drink, drink your your mocha on the run type of thing. And here it's a lot more laid back, and I'm pretty sure that that people thought that I was like a, a bull in a china shop when I first came into town. <laughs> so it is something that you really need to think about, whether it be local or whether it be in the international market. You do need to pay attention to the culture and adapt to that to fit in a little bit and say, hey, you know, I'm here for you. I want to build this relationship with you, and it doesn't matter how – you know, where you're at, that process is still the same. Absolutely. You, and you have to just make certain that you are very respectful to the culture that you are uh, engaging. Because I remember my very first trip to China, and, you know, I'm right about to sign a contract and business deal, and I'm, and I'm told it's time for lunch. I'm thinking I'm not hungry. You know, <laughs> in America it doesn't work this way. We sign a contract, then we eat, you know. Mm-hmm. But I have to be mindful to say, Yes, okay, we eat, you know, and, of course, we, we go out, we wash our hands, and, of course, everything shuts down, let's say, from maybe about 11 to 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. in China because um, they are very big about taking breaks. They will work longer hours, but they are big about taking breaks. And I realized just how, you know, my culture is so capitalistic, in which I do love it, Um but I had to respect their culture if I wanted to operate within it and build a long-lasting relationship. Right, and that is so, so critical. Now, and that, that brings up another question, too, as, as we're kind of going through the, the thought process of working in a, in a global market. If you're looking at it really expanding, and this, this really applies even in the local market of, you know, I want to expand even to the next zip code, let's talk about cash flow for a second. And I know this is something that doesn't really get talked about enough with small business entrepreneurs. Mom and pop type businesses tend to kind of skip through the, the cash flow conversation. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think about the cash flow and why we have issues um, in, in with smaller enterprises when we go into consulting assist is because they don't know how to break the dollar down. And, you know, it's very, very, very elementary, but sometimes being elementary can be very overwhelming because we live in such a complex society. If I sell a cup of coffee and I have a coffee shop and I sell a coffee for $2.50, how do I disperse $2.50? Do I just put it all in one account? Or do I have several accounts that set up to say $0.25 cents goes to back into 
purchasing coffee because it cost me a quarter for this cup. Mm-hmm. Ten cents for the actual cup itself. That part goes into if I want if I want those two to go into the same account. That's great. A dollar goes into the, an account that's marked for employees and for my payroll, and the other dollar may go into uh, an account for overhead. And the remaining change may go into a reserve account. You have to break down your money. You can't just put it all in one account and, you know, I'm just going to write checks and work it however I can. Well, you can't grow that way. You have right. to be able to take that money. Um, and and, and I've, I've gone across a system with a millionaire mind, and what they do is they, just, they have like five different accounts just for your personal life where mm-hmm. 20% goes here, 35% here, 10% there and my lifelong spending account, so on and so forth. You have to separate your money in various accounts in order for the business to move forward. And I think right. if small business owners and entrepreneurs adapt that, many of them will soar. Right. And I, and I do, I love that. And it's, you're talking about uh, the millionaire mind stuff. I, I know Harv's stuff, and I've actually been through that, the fact of breaking down the jars. And as a matter of fact, I know for a fact that some of our audience have been through that, so they know what we're talking about, the, the, the jars is the way they describe it. And I, I think that that is so, so powerful. We talk about that on the personal level, but when, when we don't talk about it enough on the business level, we really need to stop and go, okay, we need to have these breakdowns as well because that is how you actually realize if you're really profitable. And if you're ready to grow, and I mean grow with adding new employees or if you are going to add an employee, you can basically analyze if I add this employee, what value are they going to bring? How much more money is going to come in? How much work can they do in an eight-hour day? And the other aspect I think that business owners don't do and that is break down if they're selling a product, how many sales they should have per day, how many should they have per hour, you know. And you have target goals, and if you know you need to have X, Y, and Z sales per hour, when you hire a salesperson, then here are your quotas. Because now all of this is being tied into the overall vision for you to fund your organization and keep it moving forward. And if you do meet these quotas, I've, I've crafted it whereby you'll get a bonus if you do X, Y, and Z. So there has to be something that's going to motivate them. One, they have to be able to do the job they say they're going to do to earn their key. And then, of course, you have to have something that's motivating them to want more because, of course, people want to be able to take their wives out to that dinner or they may want to go golfing or maybe a trip that they want to save for. If those bonuses are set in place where they have something to reach towards, just like the business is reaching towards goals, or they should be reaching towards both financial goals as well as market goals um, to grow the business. And, of course, those uh, types of measures allow for you to um, ensure that you're growing because you have those tools in place. Right. Now, I love it, and I think that that, that is so, so powerful. And it, that leads me to actually to my next question, and I'm a systems guy. I love to put systems in place. Uh, because I know that, you know, quite honestly, my, my rule of thumb is that I strive to eventually someday become lazy. I have yet to figure <laughs> that out, and I'm still working insane, you know, 17 hour days. But my goal is, okay, can I automate? Can I systemize this piece in order to make my life easier? And I think when we're talking about growing our businesses, especially if we're going to start looking at national, international type of stuff, we've got to have those systems in place before that's going to even be feasible, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, And I think oftentimes we underestimate the power of a system. 
one, as a business owner, we want to make certain that we don't get burned out. And the best way to ensure that you don't get burned out is to create a system-based business so that if you are not present, individuals who are present know how to operate the business. So I often take them back to this particular um, scenario. You know, all of our lives we've been told what to do, right? Our parents, from the time we were born, get up, eat, go to school, so on and so forth. We go to school, the teacher tells us what to do. It's time to study math, social studies. We go to college, if that was our choice, the professor tells us what we need to do. We get a job, and they tell us what to do also, right? Because they give us policies and procedure manuals. They bring us through training modules. You know, there are certain things that we have to do to maintain our position, certain books to read, so on and so forth. So why would we decide to start our own business? We believe that we can be wayward and successful. And, you know, oftentimes it's like this chaos in your freedom. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't allow for growth. So I think that we have to understand that society is a system-based society. We live in a system-based society. And even if it's a one-person operation, you don't always, that's not your goal to go in business and say, hey, I'm going to be a one-person business, one business. Your goal is to grow. And in order to grow, you have to have measures for that growth. And there are going to be people you're going to bring on board to assist you, whether those people are people you outsource to or not, but they still have to be able to tap into your system and understand the flow of your business to help you to reach your goal. So if you're a one-person operation, it's important to have um, a total quality management plan. It's very important for you to have an employee handbook. It's very important for you to have step-by-step procedures as to what's supposed to happen when accounts receivables come in. There should be a system in place. How do we get our money in, you know, uh, well, accounts payable as as, as well as accounts receivable? How do we get our money in? If a person hasn't paid and their invoice is over 30 days and it's net 30, what do we do? Do we wait till it's 60 days, 90 days, or 120 days while we're still extending credit? Or do we contact them at day 31 and say, hey, Eli, you know, thank you so much for purchasing from us and we value as a customer. But we notice that your invoice is maybe five days over. It Was that an oversight on your part? You know, it's just um, it's just keeping in communication because if I know Eli says, Erica, you know, no, it's not an oversight. You know, we've been struggling just a little bit in business. Well, that lets me know, although I'm in relationship with Eli, I'm going to have to limit Eli's line of credit because if I do not, then I'm going to sink on my side. Right. And I, and I promise I'll try to fix that. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I appreciate that. But until then... Right. Eli, before I can give you X, Y, and Z, I'm going to need a payment on this. Even if the payment is is going to cover um, your cost of production for it and you want to wait for the other part, because as long as I can get the cost of production in, I can continue to order even if I'm selling to someone else if I value my relationship with Eli. Right. And I think that, that these, I mean, all of these things are, are critical. And even, even solopreneurs, if you're working out of your house and you're, you know, you're working on your own individual business and, and it's just you doing everything, you need to document this stuff. You need to put these things in place because you've got to look at two things with it. And I, this is something that I teach all the time is the fact that number one is you want to have the ability to grow because you want to start firing yourself. 
And that's, you know, that's one of the best things of being the CEO of your own company is you want to eventually fire yourself. You want to make sure that somebody else can run the business without you if that happens. I know just over a year ago or just under a year ago, excuse me, I ended up in the hospital for five days. And in that time frame, I had five days in the hospital and I had pretty much a month of bed rest because I had zero energy. I could barely get up. At all, and my business came to a screeching halt. I realized that I had my own systems, which is, of course, this is what I teach for a living. But I realized my own systems weren't in place; they weren't running the way they were supposed to be. And this could happen to anybody. So we need to have those systems in place. And you look at it. Number one is for the ability to start handing off those things so the business will run without you. The second thing is because even though we think we are perfect, we're not. And if we don't document the process, we end up skipping steps ourselves. And I found that with myself. I see that with clients. And yeah, you gotta you gotta just put that put that into a documented process. And, and this is everything from you know if you're gonna do a blog post on your website, what's the process? What are the steps involved? Because that way you don't accidentally skip something. And it could be everything from putting a blog post on your website to your accounts receivable. I mean, and everything in between. Maybe your your hiring procedures, whatever those are, just document, start documenting every little piece with that goal of making sure that things are automated as much as possible. You have the systems running, and you could eventually, if you chose to, remove yourself from, from the machine. Absolutely. And I I think also some of the reasons why they don't have systems in place is because they don't fully understand the system. They'll hear words like Six Sigma, ISO 9000, and, you know, sometimes that could be frightening to people. But I, I try to share with business owners, it's just, a, it's just a, a, a conglomerate of systems, and they're telling you to apply these systems to your operations. Now, one of the things that I do share with them is that perhaps Six, Six Sigma's entire system is not for you. Perhaps you have to take some parts of ISO. You know, sometimes you have to go back to the, 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 the philosophical aspect of it with Demings and where it started to be able to compile something that works for your organization because the one thing we need to understand is not all, all organizations operate in the same manner. And because of that, we have to tailor-make things that will work for your organization as far as the system. And then that in itself will cause your operation to run fluid. Uh, Right, I love it, and you know we're getting we're getting close to time here, and I and all of this stuff is is built around your thought process, the way you run your business, thinking of it much much bigger. Whether you decide to ever go globally in your business or not, but thinking much much bigger as a whole mindset, and I think it leads me really well to to one of my one of my biggest questions is the personal personal fun pet peeve of mine, and you and I talked about this, but I want to go ahead and make sure that we put this on the call. What is the difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur? Because I think a lot of people think the two are the same. Wow. Right. Most often, your business owners, they don't, you know, okay, can I do a disclaimer first, Eli? Yes, you can do a disclaimer because <laughs> I know we're going to irritate somebody with this one. That's Okay. Okay. Oftentimes, I believe your business owners don't see the end before they start. There is no end in sight. I'm just going to open a business. I'm going to run it just very wayward, 
I'm, if I get up in the morning and I feel like getting there at 9, I'll get there at 9. If I want to get there at 8, I'll do that. And, and there's like a lack of structure. There's a great skill, a skill or product that's being offered, but there's a lack of structure in it. Whereby I believe the entrepreneur, they have a greater passion for not only creating businesses, but selling them. It's something about the art of beginning and ending beginning and ending, and in the process, they're building something so massive that they're able to sell it. And since you mentioned T. Harv through this, let's talk about him not having any money and using $2,000 on his credit card to build a multi-million dollar exercise business only to sell it a few years later, only to start all over again and build something else. I think entrepreneurs see the end. They see where they want to go beyond that, whether it's franchising the business or whether it's just building this, this enterprise strong, selling it, and starting all over again. I think it's a difference in structure. I think it's a difference in organization and discipline. I think that the entrepreneur has all those things coupled with the passion, whereby oftentimes the business owner, they lack those items. Right. I love it. And that, that's a really, really elegant way to put it. I tend to not be quite so <laughs> elegant in my definition. Um, you know, I tend to look at entrepreneurs created or business owners created a job for themselves. Entrepreneurs create a business to solve problems. And those are kind of the ways that I look at it. But I really kind of focus on the if you're a business owner, that means that you just created a job for yourself. That's not the same. They are very different creatures. But I like the way you put it because it's much more elegant than mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are getting close to the time here. I got I got two last things for you. Number one, as I this is a question that I ask every one of my guests for the show, is this is the wrap up. With there's just one action step everybody can get out there and do right away. What would that be? I would say I have a three part one one thing. I would say one to get out there. Make sure you're being innovative. Make sure you're being flexible and make sure that you're always learning your craft. That would be the, the action step that I would give anybody. I love it. Very, very cool. Three steps, but it is still all easy, easy things to do. Very cool. So how can people get a hold of you? Because I know some people are going to want to follow some of the stuff that you've got going on. You know, people can get a hold of me on every social media outlet that's out there. I'm on Facebook at Erica A. Murray International Consultant. I'm on uh, LinkedIn at Erica Murray, Erica A. Murray, and I'm also on Twitter at Erica A. Murray. And my website is 3WerikaAMurray.com. So um, I'm out there and uh, would love to talk with individuals about helping them further their business and, of course, you know, just chatting about whatever it is they'd like to chat about. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. You gave us a ton of wisdom today. That's always the, the goal with this, and I knew I was not going to be disappointed, definitely, and you did a rock star job. So thank you so much. Now, I always put something out here real quick. Is if, you know, For me to you, if there's anything I can ever do to help you out, help support you, reach out let me know. I will. Thank you so much, Eli. I have totally enjoyed the conversation and being here with you. Well, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening to us. One thing I always have to do, a little plug, because I do tend to forget this every once in a while, actually, is the fact that if you love this episode, definitely let us know. Go to iTunes, put a review on there. You can even comment. And 
on top of that, feel free to reach out to us. That's what we're here for. That's why we do these shows. Uh, but definitely, if you can go to iTunes, leave, leave a review for us that means the world to us and helps us rank up a little bit higher to get in front of more people to share our messages with more people in the world. So with that, we're going to wrap everything up. As always, if there's anything I can do to help you out, reach out, let me know, and we will catch you all on the next episode. Take care. Hey there, this is Eli again, and I got a question for you. Do you have a roadmap for marketing your business? If you're consistently looking for new marketing ideas just to keep your business going, then you need to check out smallbusinessmarketingroadmap.com and download the free special report that I created to help you create a marketing plan that will thrive in any economy. Again, that's smallbusinessmarketingroadmap.com. Go get it, read it, and start the road trip of your lifetime. See you on the other side.